Hi, this is Tony at Cover Magazine. I'm speaking to Charlotte Kemp, an upcoming speaker at the FBI convention in November. And Charlotte is the future alchemist. Uh, thank you very much for taking time to talk to me and welcome. Thank you very much, Tony. I'm excited to talk about this topic um, both now and later at the at the convention. Yes, it's almost, um, you know, we talk about future and futurist and all those sort of words, but it's almost like we're living in the future, and um, it's it's a constant future that we that we're living in. So maybe to start off with, um, out of interest, I mean, what does it mean to be a futurist, and how do you become known as one? What do you do to get there? Well, uh, some of my futurist colleagues are frustrated that uh, anybody who talks about AI or technology or any advances in the world goes ahead and calls themselves a futurist. Uh, mm -hmm. I am a member, a professional member of the Association of Professional Futurists, and there are some requirements in order to go from being a, a, a candidate to a student member to being a professional member, uh, including publications or studies. But I actually have the uh, position that everyone is a natural futurist because we all do anticipate the future. And uh, I mean, that is perfectly illustrated by the whole financial planning uh, profession because we're planning for a future. We're planning uh, and anticipating different scenarios of how our lives might turn out. And mm. that's what we're planning for. So we should, I would love more people to think of themselves as futurists. Uh, but to become an actual professional futurist, then of course there's uh, studies or publications or or other kind of research work that we do to uh, to get into this field. Mm -hmm. So um, I mean, just on you know looking at the future now, and you're going to be talking a little bit about technology and that sort of thing at the convention. Maybe you can give us sort of a general overview of your thoughts on the role of technology in the future. And uh, of course, especially in, in our personal lives as we go from day to day. Yeah, so th there's a couple of drivers of change uh, and the PESEL acronym is, is used quite often to kind of give broad categories of, of these drives of change. So PESEL stands for political, economic, social, technology, legislation and environment. So technology is actually one of the bigger drivers of change in that uh, technology, people coming up with new technologies all the time uh, and, and, and affects so many different industries and, you know, all the countries around the world. And, and we have these great technologies that can be launched very quickly uh, into society. And then we have this whole lag about how does society respond to that technology? How does legislation kind of govern that technology? Uh, what needs to be allowed? What needs to be controlled, et cetera? And then the whole ethical response and the psychological response kind of lags behind the technology. So we're always playing catch up because, you know, as we're speaking right now, someone could be coming up with the technology that will be you know, the topic of conversation for the next couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. it, it is a huge driver. How it affects uh, in individuals and industries uh, is very profound. You know, we can embrace mm -hmm. these technologies and be more efficient and find more effective ways of reaching markets and, and uh, reaching clients and being better at what we do. But a lot of people resist the technologies and then they kind of get left behind and they lag behind uh, what is happening and then they're trying to play catch up the whole time. And that mm -hmm. is probably one. One of the biggest things we see in, in the financial sector about uh, companies and organizations that start 
with this futures mindset. So they're starting in this environment as opposed to those kind of legacy systems, the old uh, companies that have been around for a really long time and have a great reputation, having to retool and reskill in order to keep up with the technology. So, so many changes and how we actually embrace those changes is going to be uh, a good indication of our success in the future. Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, technology, it's interesting. I mean, you get everything is basically technology. There was technology already yes. a thousand years ago. You know, it depends on how, what your definition is of when does it become a certain other type of technology. Now, AI is basically one of those sort of things that um, it's just one part of this big machine of what we call technology. But People are have very different opinions about the future with AI. Obviously, some are very scared, some are very worried. Others say it's doomsday. Others say no, it's going to save humanity, etc. And and you know the the worry is always who gets hold of this and what do they do with it. That's sort of where it will end. So, in your opinion, can we? see that there might be winners and losers? Do you think there will be winners and losers in this whole game? Well, Tony, I like how you said that technology has been around forever. I mean, technology is just a, a systematic way of doing something, a, a process of doing something. So we, can, we mm. can find, you know, the most basic, simple technologies. And then we start talking about artificial intelligence and feel like it is something different. Mm. If we take it back and we think AI is a tool, just like any other tool. And any tool that you use, uh, whether it's something you know in the garage or um, something at your desk, the tool itself is neutral. The tool is not good or bad. It's not you know, um, going to cause some destruction. It depends on about whose hands that tool is in. So anybody can take a tool and create a masterpiece or somebody can take a, a tool and create mayhem. And mm -hmm. what are we going to do with that? So you're right, it depends on, on whose hands it will be in. The thing about artificial intelligence is, like so many new technologies that came up, people needed to find a way to name it. And, and there was apparently a debate about whether this would, you know, could we call it augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence? And, and that was the name that they kind of stuck. And that might be part of our problem is that we, we feel intimidated by something that is artificially like our intelligence and then how are we going to respond to that? What does that mean mm -hmm. for, for us? Mm -hmm. So again, if we just take it back to a tool and, and what can we do with it? Artificial intelligence has been around forever. It's embedded into so much of, of what we do, um, our phones, our computers, how our emails are handled, what we see on, on television or on Netflix, AI is already there. The big nervous conversation that is happening now because we can't wrap our minds around what the scenario looks like is the latest generation of artificial intelligence that is not just predicting what would come next, what we might want to do with this particular email, what movie we might want to watch. The latest kind of version of artificial intelligence is now generating uh, content, generating solutions, generating uh, you know, things on the internet, generating software and code. So that now makes us nervous because that generation, um, that kind of creative skill that we thought was uniquely human and could never be replaced uh, is now being replaced in so many mm. places. And, and that is what makes, uh, that, that causes concern. So yes, uh, anyone with any kind of tool can, can create harm to people. Um, 
but let's find ways to use something which is inevitable, which is here. How are we going to use this to actually enhance our own careers, enhance the services that we're giving? Um, but we have to be pre prepared for it. We, we can't imagine that it's not actually going to be a threat to us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, it, in, in business, obviously, now everybody is looking at how to use it, what to do with it, what sort of competitive advantage they can get from it, etc. How do you see this play out in financial services um, in, in the environment? And, you know, it's, could this not sort of disenfranchise the advisor in this space? Yeah. You know, if you look at the broad kind of sector of, of financial services. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to offer a lot of opportunities to streamline and be more efficient and to offer better solutions and to reduce costs uh, of, of particular services. Uh, how that affects the individual financial planner or wealth manager, um, that is a different conversation. And again, it is really going to be up to the individuals as to whether they prepare themselves to embrace this or whether they resist it. And the longer we resist these changes and don't come to terms with what they mean, uh, the worse the impact will be. And, and you can just think about other changes that have happened in, in financial services over the years. Uh, I, I started uh, in financial services myself uh, in my early 20s, which was a significant period of time ago. And uh, and then I saw changes happening and, and I did not keep up, which means now I have no access to serving in that place and, unless I go back and I study and I prepare and I get the right mm. kind of qualifications and skills uh, and licenses. So um, we, we always do need to keep up with these things. Individual people um, may well lose their jobs. Um, there are more efficient ways to do certain things. There are certainly ways that individual customers who are financially savvy can get the services that they need without mm. having to go to an individual financial advisor. But that professional, if they are professional and they keep themselves up to up to date in terms of what they can do and how to use those skills, they can actually offer an enhanced and better service um, to mm -hmm. their, their clients. Uh, mm -hmm. But there is going to be this kind of shifting space where a whole lot of people no longer need to go to a human or to go to a financial advisor in order to get the services that they need. Mm -hmm. There's always a certain part that remains for those that add a special value, which Absolutely. is where the professional comes in. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that, that, that we've seen is that organizations uh, in terms of financial services, but any kind of organization that, that has to deal with, with humans, when they, uh, when they build in a whole lot of like the chatbots that can answer the customer service queries and they've got good processes and good integration of their systems, uh, that, that's really fantastic and it works very well when everything works. But the minute something goes wrong and a human customer needs human intervention, if that organization is not still investing in human customer service, mm. um, then they are found to be quite wanting. So um, the, the systems are great. The AI, the technology is fantastic as long as everything is predictable and works well. But the minute mm. a human comes with something that is unique, uh, and, and, and to be honest, most customers will come to us thinking that their particular circumstances are are wildly unique and they need to have, mm. you know, a particular attention. But, but when we do have that, we need to make sure that we have got some really good human customer service skills still being taught to, uh, to the people mm. in our organization so that we can actually provide that service.
Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Charlotte, thank you so much for those comments and so on. I really look forward to your presentation at the uh, uh, convention. So, um, and I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you very much, Tony. I'm looking forward to it myself.